0: John chapter 8, and i uh, just going to pick up right where we left off last week and deal with that same verse, John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You may be seated. I found this little article, and I think we had some at one time sitting out on the foyer, on the table, but it's dealing with what we're going to talk about today, Jesus being light and that life lived out. So, I don't know if you remember seeing these out there from the Daily Bread, I think we got some copies uh, last quarter or whatever, but one of the articles is... uh, first article in that booklet is Shopping for Life at the Mega Mall. Shopping for life at the Mega Mall. How many of you all like to go shopping? Only well, a couple of you. I guess the rest of you don't like shopping. Okay. Cool. Well, this may not apply to you if you don't like to go shopping, but if you do, uh, whether you go to the mall, Walmart, or wherever you go, Dollar Store, Dollar Tree, There are all places you can go. He says, a few years ago, a jeans company ran a controversial TV commercial. The ad begins with a woman wading into into a river one night, followed by three men. The men wear the brand name jeans. The woman wears a skirt into the water. One of the men then puts his hand on her forehead, pushes her backwards, and mimics baptizing her. As a woman comes up from the water, she now wears the same brand named Jeans as the men. The phrase, born again, appears on the screen. I think that advertisement makes explicit what is happening in many places today. People are looking for new life through the things we buy, whether clothes, cars, or hairstyles. In an odd twist, the shopping mall has become a new. Cathedral. Let's think about it. On any given Sunday, shopping mall, parking areas overflow as we lug our hopes and problems through the doors. In the multi-level complexes with their ceilings like a spire and their escalators to heaven, ultra-slim mannequins show us somewhat like the statues of saints in old churches who we could become. Advertisements on loudspeakers become the cathedral sermons and the gospel they proclaim goes something like this. You are lost and incomplete, but you will feel better when you buy something, a new dress to make you likable, cologne to make you lovable, cool shoes to make you acceptable. You can, re- you can be reborn through a pair of jeans. Shopping malls hold out the promise of finding life through them, and some of us believe that. How many of us shop when we feel down or unfulfilled? I've done it, hoping a chocolate strawberry milkshake from the food court will pick me up when I am low. But any lift I've gotten has rarely lasted. That's the downside of shopping for life at the mega mall. The gains are momentary. We need to keep buying things in an effort to be happy, to feel alive. Each month, thousands of people type the phrase meaning of life into internet search engines. They find answers ranging from life has no meaning to the meaning of life is whatever you make it. Thankfully, there is another answer, and it revolves around the meaning of life itself. In its original language, the New Testament uses two Greek words for life, bios, meaning natural, created life, and zoe, meaning God's eternal, supernatural life. The distinction between the two is important. We can have BIOS without Zoe. We can be biologically alive, but spiritually dead. This can can help us understand why shopping for life at the mega mall leaves us unfulfilled. We're looking for Zoe, but getting BIOS. We're trying to fill a spiritual void with material things. Now, here's what's interesting. When the writers of the New Testament talked about Jesus of Nazareth, they described him as someone who who gave Zoe to everything that was created. His Zoe brought life to everyone. Those who walked, talked, and lived with Jesus in the first century made the remarkable claim that he is the ultimate source of life, the one who can restore Zoe to us. I've seen him do it in many people's lives. Amen? Well, that was interesting. Two matters, two, two forms of life. Bios is just our biological, we're living, breathing like we are right now. And zoe, which deals with God's eternal supernatural life. That's what, what God wants to give to each one, every one of us. Zoe, which is God's supernatural life. And what we're going to talk about even in this passage, Jesus even brought that out. When Jesus announces here in chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Not just light, but light to the whole world. If you want to be illumined, if you want to see, if you want to know, Jesus makes the claim here that he is that light. question is, how many of us, Really believe that and how many of us really actually possess the light that he talks about. Not just that he was light, but for the whole world. If people will avail themselves to the gospel message, accept Christ as their Savior, guess what? They receive the light. Go all the way back to John chapter 1. He talks about that light that was in the world and the world did not comprehend it. The world did not understand it. The world was unable to grab a hold of it. Who Jesus Christ really is. And in the whole entire book of John, the whole book of John says, is telling us that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this chapter, he comes right out and says, I am. Not that I think I am or could be, but he actually says, I am light. And he finishes off with some other phrases which we'll get to in a moment. Not just light, but light to the whole world. By being light, he was claiming to be God. And next week, we'll deal with, when he said that, the reaction of the people that were around him. So wait a minute. Are you actually saying you're a God? That would be correct. And then we'll deal with the other aspects of that next week. But he was claiming to be God. Salvation is what Jesus is claiming. Salvation to a sin-cursed world. Darkness of falsehood, he brought the light of truth. Darkness of ignorance, he is the light of wisdom. Everything light is not, that's who Jesus is. Where there's darkness, Jesus brought light. Where there is ignorance, Jesus brought wisdom. Everything about Jesus is showing and illuminating to man the best that who he is and the best that man can be. Then he tells us in the rest of this verse here not only that I am light, but whoever, whomever, whoever, anybody has the possibility, whoever follows me. If you not say you're, just not say I'm a Christian, but you are a follower of Christ. Whoever follows me, who's the me? Jesus. If you follow Jesus, guess what he says? You will not walk in darkness. He didn't say that the possibility that you could cannot. could not. He says if you follow him, You will not, will not, positively walk in darkness. question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, if you're in darkness, why? If you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, pastor, you know there's some darkness. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. That's not the Lord's fault. Because he just said that he is the light. And the fact that he says he is the light and that he is the light of the world, he follows up that whoever, and if you are part of the whoever, whoever follows him, whoever makes him Lord, whoever puts him first in their life, all that you are and all that you ever could be is all about Jesus. If you follow him, you will not have. Is that what he says? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. We're not walking falsehood. We're not walking untruth. Why? He says, this is why you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. You will have the light of life. If he is light, and you have him, you have not darkness, but you have life. In a moment, we're going to share a couple passages of Scripture and uh, show you how that light produces darkness spiritual life. He says, follow me. The Greek word akalatheo, we talked about that last week. And the, word, the two references to this word is, one, it's a general fellowship When he was talking to many of the crowds, people followed him. But what he's specifically talking in this case is, those who made Christ their Lord. There's a cost to following Jesus. Amen? What's the cost? I tell you, I'm glad you asked that question. Go with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. And when you get there, say, I got it. Got it? I only heard a couple. All right. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Let's do it. Jesus says. The cost of following Jesus. There's a cost. To be a true follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus, costs something. And if it is not costing you anything, then you may not be a true disciple of Jesus. What's the cost? One, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up to him and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my Father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. Jesus doesn't want us to be half hearted. He wants, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to be serious about this thing to the point where he even talks here. He lets this person, the person says, this is what this scribe says. He came to him and he says, Teacher, Rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. How many of us have said that somewhat to the Lord? I will follow you, Lord, wherever you lead me, I will follow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Maybe he's trying to tell you, lead you to come to his house. You have yet to follow him to the house. Let alone talk about the other cases of following Jesus. He says, "I'll follow, Lord. I I want to follow you wherever you go." Jesus let him know real quick. Well. Well, before you say that, remember I always tell us, be careful what we say. Be careful what we ask for. Many of us, I love the Lord. I, I trusted him. I hasten to his call. He's on the throne of God. I believe in Jesus. Well, that sounds wonderful until something happens in our life. And then all of a sudden, uh, wait a minute. Hold it. Time out, Lord. I, I love you, but my faith is not where it should be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said. I will follow you, Lord. You said you wanted him as your Savior and Lord. I think maybe us bypass the Lord part and just say we want Jesus to save us. But there's no true discipleship. There's no followership of Christ without him also being Lord of our life. Can he save us from our sins? Will he save us from our sins? Yes. But he doesn't want that half-heartedly. He wants all of you and all of me, 100% of who we are. Jesus said, by the way, just so you understand something, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but there is nowhere for me to lay my head. And if you read the gospel record, Jesus had nothing of his own. He didn't own a house. He didn't own anything. When he was riding in on the donkey, he had to borrow. When he was going about ministry, he had to go to Mary and Martha's house and other people's house. Wherever he went, he was at the, at the, at the expense of other people helping him and investing in his ministry. He did not have anything of his own. He's just letting this person know, by the way, you're not going to have anything. You may not have a place to lay your head, as, as, as the foxes and the birds have. Because I, as the son of man, I, as God in the flesh, I have nowhere to lay my head. Then this other disciple says, well, you know what? I will follow you, Lord, but first let me. That's what many of us like to do. I got it. Pastor, I get it. I'm going to be willing to do this, but first let me do whatever it is. In this case. He says, uh, "Let me first go bury my father." Jesus said to him, "No. Follow me." Somebody says, "That sounds awful cruel. Follow me." Wait a minute. He just passed. He just wanted to go bury his father. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But in this instance, Jesus let him know the cost. If you're going to follow me, the cost is let the dead bury the dead. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Leave that up to somebody else. It may be that you're in a position where you don't have the opportunity to bury your loved one or you don't have the opportunity to do certain things all because of following Jesus costs something. It may cost you your marriage. It may cost you your job. It may cost, you say, how does, that, how does that happen? Maybe taking a stand for Jesus will cause you and your loved ones, you and your mate to be at rift with one another all because you're taking a stand for the kingdom of God. I can't believe you're going to be like that. Well, yeah, I'm following what the Lord says. The cost of following him is this. That's the cost. You don't do and I don't do anything without counting the cost. You can't really buy a car, you're going to make sure that you can afford it. Amen? You may think you can afford a Lexus whatever, whatever. I saw the commercial the other day, and talked about the cost almost $55,000 and you can put 5,000 almost $6,000 down and you can pay 600 and some bucks a month for a lease. Now, if you can't pay for your humpty dumpty car, there's no way. You need to be going to the Lexus dealer down at King's Auto Mall or over by uh Centerville, Centerville looking at a nice a month car payment just because you want a profile and make people think you got it. No, you count the cost. Did you ever count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? What does that mean? There are a lot of good things you can do, but the better thing is to follow Him. When I can do anything else but do what the Lord wants me to do. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. You know, the Sunday that you're having this, this thing, I've got something going on with my family. That's nice. And I'm not telling you, you don't, you can or cannot. But the cost of discipleship might be. Notice what I said. Might be. The support of someone else in the body rather than doing your thing. That's a cost. You mean you want me to tell my family that I can't be there at the, t- the time I said I was going to be there, but I might be a, few- a little bit late? Well, if the cost of discipleship is that's what it takes, yes. But what we tend to do is we blow off the things of Christ, the things of the Lord, to do our own thing. Oh, under the guise of, the Lord is my, the Lord is the Lord of my life. Well, not really. We're willing to do our own thing. The Lord wants complete submission. We are to come to Jesus not on our own terms. That's what's happening here. I'll I'll, I'll follow you, but let me go bury the dead. Bury my dead. No. Coming to Jesus means not coming to him on our own terms, but on his terms, or not at all. Either you come the way Christ tells us to come, or you don't come at all. He doesn't want us to be half-hearted. He wants all of us, not part of us. Amen? Amen? I didn't think I'd get a whole lot of amens on this one because, you know, it hit me, and then I figured it was going to hit all of us. Because when we look at our fellowship, let's be honest with us, if we were weighed in the balance, as many of us would come on the wanting side of the ledger because we're not following Jesus the way we think and we should be. We're giving Jesus leftovers. We're giving Jesus the seconds and not the first. He wants the first in everything of our life. If my wife wakes up one morning and says she's not coming to church, that's fine. I'm still coming to church, or vice versa. If I say I'm not coming, she's going to come. Amen? That's the way it should be. And if she starts telling me, well, you know what? You spend much time at the church, hey, cool. That's right. I do. I love the house of God. I love the people of God. I love being around the things of God. And if that becomes a problem to her, so be it. But I'm still not going to change my life to make her happy. I'm not going to say, well, I'm not coming because I, well, no. I'm coming. I pray she, I'm going to pray the Lord changes her heart. Amen. Or my children or anybody else. You cannot allow anybody else to stop you from doing what the Lord wants you to do. You don't do it in any other area of your life except when it comes to the things of God. If you get people on your job that don't like you, is that stopping you from coming to church? I mean, coming, going to your job? I don't think so. You know, people, you know, people talk about, we got cliques, we got, we got, wait a minute, they're on the same thing in the world. You're not going to tell me that everybody on your job, everybody gets along and everybody likes everybody and it's one big kumbaya moment. No way. You go to your job every day. You even got your own relatives that you can't, some of us can't even contend with sometimes. We love them, but we don't want to be around them all the time. And when they come knocking on our door, we go, oh, Lord Jesus. What do they want now? If you do it there, Dina, and that same stuff goes on here, but here's the key. Jesus says that in this place, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we as a body of Christ ought to love one another. And the way you can't put up with some of us and some of you can't put up with me, guess what? The same feelings is exhibited back to you. Should not be that way, but that's the reality. I I really don't like being around pastors. Well, that's fine. You don't have to like being around me. Guess what? Maybe I don't like to be around you, but the bottom line is this. I still have to love you, and when you are around, I will treat you with love of Christ that is inside of me, and vice versa. You may not like me. You may not even want to be around me, but if I am in your presence, you ought to be able to say, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? And don't give me one of these little pats. Say, Pastor, in Christ, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I love you. Amen. So the cost is what he says here in Matthew 18. The other part of the cost is, let's go to Luke 18, the Gospel of Luke. There's a cost here. I just want us to look at our lives and say, Lord, have I really counted the cost? Am I willing to count the cost? Because if you don't count the cost, that's maybe the reason why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's too expensive. And that's what many people tell me, Pastor, you're, you, you expect too much. You, do, can, why not just let that go and, 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 and just kind of ease up a little bit because maybe we'll win them. Well, no, no, I'm not easing up. God wants us to do right. I don't want us to have the shopping mall mentality. When well, we come to the mall to get our fix, we come to church because, well, you know, they do certain things that I, I, I could be happy with. He gets up there talking about some things. I just, I just, I can't handle it. Well, Matthew 18, hope you have read this before, beginning with verse 18, reads as follows, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, wait a minute, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now listen, and he's talking to this ruler, this is Jesus, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And follow his response. He says, the ruler says, all these I have kept from my youth. Wow, he's good. All these things he has kept. He has not committed adultery. He has not committed murder. He has not stolen. He has not bear false witness. And he has 100% honored his father and mother. He's a good guy. This is a wonderful man. All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, that's great. I'm glad you've kept all these things. Just so you understand, one thing you, lack, you still lack. But he asked the question, what, do I, what am I missing here? One thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Hmm. I've kept all these other things. Jesus says, but you, you miss one thing. One thing you, you haven't taken into consideration. One thing you lack. One thing you haven't done. Sell everything you have. Sell all that you have. Maybe he's talking to you. You got a nice house. You got nice cars. You got nice TVs. You got nice whatever, whatever's. We all do. Jesus says, you know what? You want to follow me? Sell it all. What? what? Sell my what, Brother Tony? Sell my boat? Oh, my God. Do you realize, Lord, I just put a new motor on that thing? Oh Lord, I've already been have visions of going out because the weather is so nice and catching some fish and maybe having a fish fry or something. Wow! I just got a new car. That's a secret. Sell so that new? That's a nice car. I got to drive it one day. I said, "Ooh, this is nice." You want me? Wait a minute, time out, Lord. Sell my car? Why? This is what we say. Why? He says, one thing you lack, sell all you had, distribute to the poor. If you do that, which is more important, treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? I would say most of us would say treasure on earth. We are attached to our things. We hold them too tight. Jesus says, no, which is more important to you, your treasures that you have on earth or selling all that you have and the treasures that you can have in heaven? Only you can answer that question. And if you sell all that you have and, and, get, and have treasure in heaven, then the second part of it is, come and follow me. Oh, wait a minute. I got to sell all I got. Then I gotta. Then you want me to follow you? You don't understand. If I don't have a car, if I don't have these things, I can't follow you. Well, yeah, you can. He done told you. If you do all that, you'll have treasure in heaven. Here's the response. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. He probably was like, "Wow, I'm pretty well off. I've kept the commandments, and I'm asking this good teacher. I'm asking this person that's God in the flesh, what what I can do." And I told him I kept everything, all the major, all the major things I've kept. And he really wants me to sell it all? To follow him? He was very sad. Why? For he was extremely rich. This ruler was well off. Jesus, seeing that he became sad, said, you know, Jesus is a master of knowing how we feel. I could say to any one of us today, I could say to any one of you, You can say it to me, how you feel? How you doing? Eh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing great. I'm doing good. But Jesus knows the real feelings on our hearts, and he knew what was on the heart of this well-off, rich, young ruler. He says, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? If If you're attached to your things, it's very difficult. But if you realize the things that you have and been blessed with it all come from God, it may not be as hard as you think. Do your possessions have you and own you? Or do you realize that everything that you have really belongs to the Lord? That's the question. We've been given a lot of good things. I'm not telling Brother Tony it's, not, it's wrong to have a boat. I'm not speaking to my sister single by having a God wants you to have a boat. God wants you to have a nice car. But don't allow those things to control you. If your boat and your car your house is so, so much better that if somebody wants to, if we say we're going to have a small group fellowship and you go to yourself, oh, I can't have anybody at my house, or you don't want anybody to come to your house, that's a problem. If your house and your car is so good that if somebody needs a ride and you have to evaluate who you're going to pick up and not pick up before you let them get in your car, that's a bad thing. So I says, well, Pastor, nobody does that. Yes, people do. They look at some people's life and they go, well, they don't meet my standards of who I would want to be with. Or they have a certain smell or they look a certain way. No, we as Christians ought to be available to, who's, to whomsoever will. If there's a man starving, if there's a guy out there standing at the corner of Romback of right there and Kroger, and he needs some help and the Lord puts it on your heart to say, man, I will help you. Come on, get in my car. I will take you back to Kroger's. I'll buy you some food or I'll take you to get some, whatever it is. You don't worry about the replica. Do you know who her pastor handed his car? Oh, my God. Why him? then You don't go through all this other, well, I know they're going to take it and they're not going to use it. No, that's not what we do. Did God do that to us? Did he save you with the idea? Oh, I know he's not really going to walk. I know they're going to turn their back on me. I know they're going to take what I've given them and trample them. I, you know, I, he didn't do that. He saved you and I even while we were what? Yet sinners. He loved us that much. And that's why we ought to love one another the same way. It's difficult. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter in the kingdom of God. It's tough when you got a whole lot and everything is all tied up with your money. And you got money. You know, when there are people out here on, on TV that have so much money, they don't worry about anything. Most of us, we have a certain, you know, when you can go to the store and money is no object. You can go shopping and drop 5000 10000 20000 You can go buy a car and pay for it in full if you want to. Put it on your credit card. Here, I want to buy this. and they or sh- send you a check. Whatever. It's paid. Done. Somebody says, hey, nobody got that kind of... Let me tell you, there are people that got that kind of credit. They got money that they... We worry about sometimes buying a carton of milk. We worry about going out and buying a new shirt or tie. We worry about a lot. Of... Well, you know what? Let me make sure. <laughs> but no. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's not the, the analogy of a camel and going through the eye of a needle. It's just that it's hard for some people who have material possessions to let go of those things. Guess what? You know how hard it is, and you and I aren't even rich. Amen? We're not rich like that, and it's hard for us to let go of some things. Can you imagine, this is what Jesus said, the person who has no problem at all? They asked the question, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, all things are what? Possible. I know what Jesus said. With man, man by himself, man left to himself, those that have material goods, those that have all those things, it's almost impossible. But if God works a work of grace in your life, he's become the life and light of your life, guess what? It's not impossible. Do you realize that some part of the kingdom of God is being supplanted and supplied by a lot of men and women who have a whole lot of money and they are willing to invest that money into the kingdom of God? So not all rich people are messed up. Here's the thing, you know, here's the thing we have to fight against. The Bible says it is the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money. Is the root of all evil, the love of it. What do you and I, what, to what extent will we go to get it? Bypassing God. I was listening to the story of a person who went to the casino playing the slot machines, and evidently they didn't know how to play slots. See, I, I will confess, I have been to the casino out in Las Vegas. Those that I go with know that I'm not a good person to go with. Oh, come on, Bob. Come on, honey. Come on. Just, just come down and just here. Here's a thing of pennies or nickels, whatever that stuff is. Just, just try it. Okay. I submit. I go down. I sit in my little chair, and this is what I do. Whatever I got in my little cup, I put it. Zing, 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 zing. Just put it in. Pull. Up, zing. Plop. Up, Plop. Up. And then my cup is empty. I'm done. And I said, Is there something supposed to happen? Nope, you don't spend all your nickels or your pennies. It's over. Thank you. I go back to my room. I'm no fun when I go. I have no great desire to go there. But this person went to the casino. They didn't know what they were doing. Evidently, they won. The machine was going up. All they had to do was show the proof that they had won. They walked away. The machine is is lit up like a like Fourth of July. They walked away. $14,000 they left sitting in that machine. And, of course, I guess the way you do it, you have a little card that they give you, and you have to verify that you were playing this machine. So somebody that was sitting close to it, when the people were coming to, from the casino were coming to check it out, the person slid over and said, that's, that's me, I won. Well, they had no proof because the card showed it. that's not you. But guess what? Can you imagine that you have won $14,000 and you just get up and walk away? Without, there? Without, you know, how many of us have won more than $14,000 by following Jesus? We are winners. We are more than conquerors. And many of us walk away leaving what we won on the table. Hmm? He says, uh, It's not impossible. It's impossible with man, but God is possible. Amen. They said, Who can be saved? He said, What well, is impossible man is possible with God. Peter says, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you that no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom. We will not receive many times more in this time in the ages to come. In the ages to come, eternal life. To follow Jesus really is this. You're going to receive way more. Yes, I know. I get it. Many of us would just love to win the lottery. We've already won. We've already said if I win the lottery, and the reason why we justify by winning the lottery is, we say that when I win, look, Pastor, if I win the mega millions, Pastor, if I win the lottery big time, I already know what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? I'm writing a check to the church. I'm going to pay off the church and and do some other things and the rest of it I'm going to spend on myself. It's just right. Mhm. Yeah. Good intentions. But when those dollar signs start coming, you start thinking about, "Ooh, wait a minute. I can buy boats, I can buy houses, I can buy more land." I can fill my barns with bigger things. All of a sudden, the church. You know, it's funny. Some people some people who tell me this, they don't even come to church. Amen. And I'm not talking about people who aren't members. I'm talking about people who are members. They just don't come. But when they win the Lord, they're going to come to the church and give us some money. Somebody asked me the question, Pastor, would you take it? I said, yes, I would. You know Why? Number one, I'm not a fool. Number two, if the devil gives you and you want to give it to him, hey, I'm going to take it. We can can take what was meant for evil and turn it to be good. Amen? Many times God takes what man thought was sometimes considered wrong and bad. God can turn it to make it good. We could take that money and invest it in the kingdom. You may take it and blow it, but if you say, oh, i won't to give it to the church, great. We'll take it and use it to advance the kingdom of God and bless other people all because you don't understand what you're doing. Bottom line, are you in the light? And if you are in the light, has that light become the light of life for you? Amen. I think I have one more passage and then I'm going to close. Luke 9 23 24. Almost got out of here without saying this. The Lord said, I think you better finish on this note. Luke 9. 23, 24. Taking up our cross, being the light that we are to live out. Luke 9, 23, 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, not just on Sunday, daily, and follow me. It's a daily thing. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You've got to be willing to lose your life for him. Amen? I mean, sometimes it's not about you. It's all about him. I know you've got a lot of things you are involved in. I know you got, but there's nothing more important than following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he said, I have come to give you life, and life, what? More abundant. Life to the fulfillment. If you and I really understand what it means to walk and to follow Jesus, it's the best life you could ever have. And instead of coming in many times like we do, despondent and sad, in spite of our circumstances, God will allow us to lift up our bowed down head. God will allow us to have a smile on our face, put joy down in our hearts, because we know we serve our all-powerful, all-knowing God who has the very best for us. He's not going to allow anything to happen to you that he's not already going to bring you through. Amen? Amen. We fret and we fume and we worry about a lot of stuff. And the bottom line is, we need to come back to the old landmark and just follow Jesus. Right. I went to Columbus Friday. My brother and sister and them were already there. I left a little later. I was going to meet them at the place where she's going to have surgery. But fortunately, I got there, when I got there, they hadn't moved her yet, so I was at the hospital. And when they got to the place where they did the surgery, They said, well, each one of you go back one by one. So I went back. I think I was second. And uh, I told Kathy, I said, I've been praying. I said, I I ain't worried about nothing. I I said, I'm looking at you. I don't think you worry about anything at all. I said, "You, you you got your eyes are bright. At that time, they hadn't put her out yet. I said, your eyes are bright. You look confident. The Lord's got this thing. So I said, we'll have a word of prayer. And I prayed for her, strength, and surgeons and all that. But I, when I I said, I'll see you when you wake up. I didn't say if you might wake up. I said, I'll see you when you wake up. I was just as confident and sure that things were going to be well as I'm standing right here before you. How do you have that confidence? My confidence is not in me. My confidence was not in Dr. Slam. My confidence was in Jesus, my Lord, my Savior. And when I prayed for her, here's what I prayed. I said, Lord, I said, I'll pray for you. I said, Lord, come here. <laughs> I didn't say that to Jesus. I didn't say, I'm well, come here. I'm talking to her, come here. I said, Lord, here we come again. One more time, we're coming to you, asking you to do us a favor. Bless us. Isn't that something, do you ever think about that? How many times have we, how many times do we go to the Lord? And sometimes on the same stuff. I, I could have I, I I prayed, oh, grace is most kind God we No, I said, Lord, here we come again. And he said, and told him what was going on, prayed, and she's doing fine. Amen? That's how we ought to be. Every time we had the opportunity to come in, we got to be excited. We got to be saying, "Lord, thank you." Amen. It's just good to see. It's good to see Penny. It's good to see, you know, everybody here, just a Mariana. We could just go all name people. It's good to see everybody because you know what? It don't take but a moment for somebody to be gone. Amen. Amen. Light and life. Jesus has given us not just the light, but also. Life. I don't know what's going on in your life, and to a degree, I don't need to know. God knows, but I will tell you this: no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, God will see you through. Amen. He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. I trust Him with my whole. I trust Jesus with my life. Amen. And that's what I want for us. Father, thank you for your word.